Welcome back to our final installment of our look at the Cold War here on the World History Podcast, or AP World History Podcast, I should say. Um, we are going to be diving into now the last bit and looking at the Cold War, what happened between the East and the West, and the end of the Cold War and what happened to bring it to an end. Um, now, one thing I want to bring up to begin with is, is Cold War might be a new term for you, or you might not fully know what that means. Uh, it is... Uh, a term that we use to describe wars, there's, uh, well, there are two terms. We can say it's a hot war uh, or a cold war. Hot war would be like what we've seen with the uh, world wars, with the uh, wars under Napoleon, the American Revolution, uh, any war where there's actually direct fighting and conflict between the two sides. Uh, that's a hot war because those two sides are going at it. Uh, a cold war is where there's indirect fighting. So the U.S., um, in this case, will never go and directly attack the Soviet Union, and the Soviet Union will never go and attack the U.S. Instead, they're going to do it through proxies or through uh, allies or other people, or they're going to go beat up allies of the other side and try to prevent them from spreading their ideas. And uh, this whole Cold War starts uh, as the Axis powers are being defeated. So as the enemy of uh, the, the Axis powers, so the Nazis, the fascists in Italy and in Japan, uh, the militarists there, uh, as they are falling apart and, and uh, are no longer a threat, we now see the uh, weakness in the relations between the West and the Soviet Union in, um, in particular um, being exposed uh, because... Uh, they're looking for new enemies, and we start to see those I ideas flare up as we get to the end of the war, and then we see them uh, come about full swing uh, or full bore after the war is over. Um, you can even, this isn't in the book, I'm going to bring this up though as, as a point with this. Uh, some people saw this before anything, uh, before the Cold War actually happened. Uh, one of the most famous people that said this and called for uh, the U.S. to continue World War II and go and attack the Soviets uh, was uh, General uh, George S. Patton of the U.S. Army. He uh, didn't like the communists at all, which was a typical thing for the Americans. They really didn't like that. But he saw the rivalry there, and he didn't want to see the uh, communists rise up and become a major power to rival the United States. However, everyone's weary about the end of the war. The Americans really never wanted to be involved in the war. Um, it's maybe a slightly different feeling that you might than you might feel uh, in the U.S. today, where you guys have been um, in you high schoolers have been in war for uh, the majority of your life, actually all of your life. The the U.S. has been in some type of war. Um, for myself, uh, I've only had a handful of years. Uh, we're probably talking around ten or less years where. Um, we we haven't been in war during my lifetime. So uh, about uh, two-thirds of my life or more, uh, maybe even upwards of 70-75% has been in um, uh, some type of war uh, that the U.S. has been involved in. So um, that's, that's a much different aspect than what it was like before. Uh, the U.S. never wanted to be part of World War II. They just wanted to supply people with goods and stay out of it. Uh, but after the war... Um, and after the war, we, we continued to go back to that. People didn't want to hear people like Patton. Uh, unfortunately, Patton died in a tragic accident uh, before the actual very, very end of the war. Um, well, actually, no, it was after the war was over, uh, but before he could return home from uh, Europe. So um, we'll get back on track after that tangent. But uh, people saw this Cold War coming. 
Uh, and some were worried that this was going to be a hot war. Luckily, it never did, uh, especially because uh, of the weapons that both sides would eventually have. So, what what's going on here? Well, we uh, we see this conflict beginning uh, with uh, some events early on, uh, especially with what the Soviets do when they take over Eastern Europe. Uh, and don't give those people the freedoms that the West is expecting to have happened. They weren't expecting to be satellite states or kind of like controlled states by the Soviets. And uh, Stalin says, well, this is what we're doing, and you can't stop us. And so uh, there isn't much they can do to stop them. And <clears throat> we'll see this uh, rise up in a conflict known as the Berlin Airlift, which will eventually lead to a, a wall being built in Berlin. Uh, but the Berlin Airlift was a way... Uh, is where Stalin cut off West Berlin, which was a part of the West. It was the capital of Western Germany. Um, and so the U.S., France, and Britain had a stake in it. Uh, but the Soviets cut them off and tried to kick the Americans, the British, and the French out of the city and bring it under Soviet control. Instead, this galvanized the Allies to fight against that, and the U.S. Uh, really focused on flying as many planes to resupply the city in as possible. And... Uh, until the Soviets gave up, until Stalin gave up and allowed them to freely supply the uh, their half of the city. And uh, after that incident, the West goes, you know what, we need something to show that we're serious and that we're all going to protect each other if the Soviets do something crazy like this again, uh, especially if they go out and actually attack someone. So they create something known as the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, also known as NATO. Now, this is a very provocative thing. Uh, this is something that really upsets the Soviets, and they go, you, you can't just do that. If we remember back to alliances, this is the whole thing that started World War I, and now you're making an alliance that's solely against us. And so the um, Soviets, on in their part, decide to make their own rival one called the Warsaw Pact, uh, named after where it was signed in Poland. And so that brings all the states under the Soviet powers um, into the into a common agreement that they will protect each other from any Western aggression. So uh, we see that start to happen. Uh, but this uh, alliance system might have actually prevented any major wars from happening because both sides knew they got all these other people that are going to jump in and, and fight as soon as one side attacks the other. Um, so there's that. Then uh, we see uh, communism spread to other regions, especially in Asia, into Korea, into Vietnam, and uh, into China. And we see both sides either supporting the communists, uh, being the Soviet Union supporting the communists and, and aiding them in setting up a communist state, or we see the West, uh, especially the Americans, uh, funding efforts to stop that. So you can see that in China, the communists were supported by uh, Stalin, while the nationalists were supported by uh, the United States. Uh, we can see that in the Korean War, North was supported by the Soviets and the communists in China. The South was uh, protected by uh, and supported by the United States and the West and the United Nations. Um, although the Soviet Union did have a say in the United Nations, they didn't show up that day and couldn't veto uh, the, the action there. Um, and you see that in Vietnam, in the fight for the Vietnam War and the fight of the French against the uh, communists um, <clears throat> Ho Chi Minh um, early on uh, before they gave them independence so we see issues like that rising up um, we see uh, by the end of this whole thing a proxy war playing out in Afghanistan uh, not today's uh, Afghanistan war 
uh, that the U.S. has been a part of, which is the longest war in U.S. history. Uh, but in the Soviet uh, attack on Afghanistan and trying to set up a communist state there uh, after the communist leader there got deposed. So um, we see the U.S. aiding in that, and we aid and give like a billion dollars or more to the uh, Afghan rebels, uh, known as the Mujahideen, uh, to fight against the communists. Uh, and so we see uh, fighting in that way, these, these proxy-type settings. It's one of the, uh, a really good example of, uh, of that for you, where you can see the U.S. not directly fighting, but aiding in the fight. And uh, we can also see this in events like the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, in 1962, where the Soviets send missiles to Cuba to point at the U.S. because the U.S. decided to put missiles in Turkey and point them at the Soviet Union. Not a good idea. Um, and we as the U.S. look at the Cuban part as the really bad thing, but we are the ones that provoked it by putting missiles in Turkey. And so what eventually happens to resolve that issue is uh, luckily no one presses any buttons to send nuclear missiles at each other because that would have ended uh, the world probably. But uh, instead, uh, we agreed to take the missiles out of Turkey. Now, uh, that brings me to the, the main point and why we don't see a lot of fighting between these two sides, and that is the uh, development of nuclear weapons. The United States develops the first nuclear weapons, uses them in World War II in Hiroshima and Nag or, uh, against Japan at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, the Soviets quickly started designing their own nuclear weapons, going, okay, we need something to rival this power of the Americans and the West, and so they developed theirs. So now you've got these two super powerful weapons, uh, that both sides have that neither want to use on each other because they don't want them to be used on themselves. And so this is one thing that really stops the direct fighting. And instead, you have the focus on fighting smaller battles against their weaker friends or allies. Um, but uh, so they both developed uh, nuclear weapons, and that becomes a, a race to see who can develop the best, most powerful, most accurate, uh, how the most, uh, uh, period. And the U.S. will will make over the time more nuclear weapons. Now today, uh, the U.S. still has several thousand nuclear weapons, but uh, Russia today has just a few more uh, than the U.S. does. But still, uh, much more than maybe any side truly needs um, to protect themselves. So uh, this led to a strategy uh, in the U.S. Uh, known as brinksmanship. And um, it also led to ideas of uh, kind of threatening mutual destruction, which is why neither side wanted to do this. Uh, and what brinksmanship was, and the Soviets would sometimes do this as well, is um, threaten the use of nuclear weapons against the other side to get them to back down from an issue, uh, to show that they were serious and, and, and whatnot. Um, Sometimes this worked, other times this didn't work, uh, but hopefully it was never actually fully going to be implemented because um, if we would, that could, again, destroy the United States, um, destroy Russia, destroy the whole world uh, from nuclear fallout. So, again, luckily none of that stuff happened, um, but uh, we see this standoff going and the, the U.S. And, and Soviet Union are constantly pointing missiles at each other or having bombers ready to go and... Uh, ready to end things in case one side fires on the other. Um, one other thing to bring up here with, with that kind of stuff, um, well, not necessarily nuclear weapons, but um, in, in the rivalry between the two and how they go after each other because they can't go and attack each other, uh, you see them try to set up as many allies as they can. 
satellite states. And so you see the United States who fights for democracy fighting uh, to protect authoritarian regimes that promise to be capitalistic and not communistic. Or you see uh, the communists propping up and setting up authoritarian regimes, which are similar to their own, uh, but uh, support authoritarian regimes who uh, will uh, be allies with them and will uh, push for those communist ideas. Another term you should probably know uh, that we see more in the United States, uh, but this happens in both of them because the militaries really take over a lot of the funding. Um, in government, they take a huge chunk of it in, in both cases. Uh, but you get this military-industrial complex, especially in the U.S., which is built off of capitalism, uh, which uh, is the idea that the military uh, is going to uh, really push for the building of more weapons, larger armies, uh, more uh, expensive weapons, and just having huge stockpiles of it, and that being a major driver of the economy. And that's something that uh, definitely happens in the U.S., and you can still see some... Uh, issues of that today uh, with some of the huge projects that the military takes on um, to develop new weapons that uh, may or may not be used. Um, but uh, you can see it being a major part of the economy uh, and and our um, uh, what we spend our money on. About uh, of, of where most of our money goes, there are three places uh, in the United States. <clears throat> and I'm sorry, I'm sorry if my voice is getting scratchy here, uh, but you have um, Social Security, Medicare, and then the military. Those are the three big things we spend our money on, and so you can see that still coming out of the Cold War. We might not be as big as military and whatnot, but we still are building that up. Uh, but we're able to support that because of our high growth, our high economy, and stuff like that. These Soviets aren't able to do that. Uh, their economy is not as strong to be able to do that. They're not as, as, as able to develop the strong or technological innovations. And so uh, we will win in that race. You'll also see us race and compete in other areas. Things like uh, the space race uh, will compete in um, going to space and pushing back uh, further beyond that. And again, the U.S. could mobilize more resources, even though we got started later. Uh, Sputnik came up before the U.S. was doing anything in the space race. Uh, the U.S. will easily surpass the Soviets. Um, I shouldn't say easily, uh, but they will surpass the Soviets. Um, and that's, that's mainly because the economic systems in the U.S. has more resources for that because capitalism allows that. But uh, there's also an issue of leadership. Uh, the United States, uh, although leadership isn't perfect, uh, has strong leaders, has a stable system in, in what's going on. Uh, after Stalin's death, uh, we see uh, new people taking over. Um, a guy named Nikita Khrushchev will take over next. Uh, and then I can't remember the other ones until we get to Gorbachev, who's the last leader of the Soviet Union. Uh, but you have some really weak leaders that come in or that, that have some major missteps that happen that will weaken the Soviet Union over time. Um, you have the communist countries eventually fighting with each other, especially with um, China and the Soviet Union. Uh, they will become rivals or enemies uh, for control of guiding and influencing uh, communist nations in their regions. Um, <coughs> and um, th this will kind of undermine the Soviets and eventually lead to uh, their collapse. Uh, in China, we, we see more stability in that. Uh, they don't have as much of an issue when Stalin dies, uh, but we do see their leaders, instead of wanting to give up their power, 
um, or lose power in the Communist Party and, and see China continue to weaken or unsuccessfully industrialize, they decide to shift more towards a capitalistic economy. Now, it takes a long time, and we don't see it fully developed until today, but uh, we start to see that happen. Um, but the reason why they really go into uh, pushing for this is because their economy stall. Um, so the people are demanding different or new things because if that doesn't happen, there's going to be a revolution. And that's what we see happen in um, Russia. The Russians uh, in the late uh, 1880s, early 1990s, are, are getting fed up with the lack of industrialization or the lack of economic prosperity, I should say, because it's industrialized in uh, Russia. And so uh, they, they will push and eventually Gorbachev will be kicked out. Um, and you'll have new governments come up uh, or new leaders come about. They won't be perfect and they'll be kind of weak, uh, but uh, new uh, leadership will come about to change things until we get to the strongman of Vladimir Putin, who is currently the president and it is fourth term as president, uh, but really has been um, ruling because he took one, one term off and became prime minister because of the Russian constitution. Uh, but has been ruling essentially Russia since he took over as president. Um, so stalling economies are one reason why these fail. Uh, the other reason why these two uh, states fail is because of the harsh lives that they put people under, the constant propaganda that people stop believing, the mass killings that happen that people get fed up with. And uh, so they will abandon the communist process and some of those uh, extremes in the uh, major issue of morals, especially in killing the people that they say they're going to be protecting. Does that mean that they don't do that? Um, well, they've gone mostly away from that, but you can still see remnants of that in both Russia and China, um, with uh, dissenters being jailed in both or killed, especially in Russia. You can see that anyone that challenges Putin for power uh, somehow disappears. Um, now, what do they do then? to try to fix this uh, and how do they lose the cold war um well again we already kind of mentioned that you lost the cold war but how do they change this um uh, i think i misspoke earlier when i talked about china in my second one uh xi jinping i think i mentioned him he's the current leader of china um so i apologize for that uh uh missed up there he's the current leader of china um and is really pushing for more modernization and industrialization in China, but that's all um, started back in the 1960s uh, by Deng Xiaoping. And uh, he really pushes for reform, uh, pushes more for arts and culture to return, bringing back some of the ideas in Confucianism and Taoism and those types of things. Uh, economic reforms of dismantling collectivization and giving power back to the farmers to own it and determine what they want to grow, uh, opening businesses, to the world economy or opening um, areas uh, to the lo to to the world economy to develop and invest in, um, and uh, that's going to lead to a lot of growth and prosperity in China. And uh, we eventually get China uh, becoming the second largest economy, like it is today, uh, from that. Uh, however, this isn't perfect. Uh, in China, there's a lot of corruption within the party. There's a lot of pollution coming about because there isn't a lot of regulation to stop it. It's all about industrializing for the sake of industrializing to become the greatest power and not necessarily to uh, protect the earth and the environment and stuff like that. Um, but the one thing that doesn't change, though, even though all this economic changes are happening, um, 
It's not a true capitalist society. There's still command aspects of it because the communist power is not going to give up their power. Uh, they refuse to go from a one-party state to a multi-party state to be a true democracy or anything like that. Uh, they're going to maintain their control as long as they can. On the flip side, in the Soviet Union, uh, we see things completely collapse where China, Communist Party still remains. Communism is out there. Gorbachev got kicked out. And you get these reforms uh, that were begun under uh, Gorbachev to uh, make it more capitalistic, uh, but will be continued and expanded upon once they uh, drop communism in the Soviet Union. Um, some of the really big ones to know are perestroika, which is where they give economic freedom and they turn over private businesses or public businesses that are owned by the government to private uh, entrepreneurs. And uh, they give people stocks to invest in those. Well, most people saw those as worthless, except for the people that were visionaries. And those visionaries bought those stocks up and became very, very wealthy and become the oligarchs that you might know of or have heard of today in Russia that have a lot of the wealth. Uh, another one of the uh, aspects of changing things is Glasnost, uh, which gave more cultural and intellectual freedoms, which will uh, open the country up for the eventual ending of uh, communism in the state and uh, the push towards democracy. Now, um, with these reforms going on, with these changes happening in the Soviet Union, you will get uh, a weakening of uh, their uh, iron-fistedness in Eastern Europe. And so we'll see countries starting to finally being able to break away. Uh, we'll see the Berlin Wall fall in 1989. Uh, we'll see uh, Poland get their independence, Ukraine get their independence, uh, all those Eastern uh, nations, uh, Eastern European nations that were part of the Iron Curtain will get their, their freedoms um, and uh, will, in a large part, set up democratic, capitalistic uh, systems that will align more with the West than they will with the Soviet Union or uh, Russia, depending on when uh, they take over. And... Uh, so that kind of really sets us up for the world uh, we live in today here in the 19, or in the, in the not the 19s, uh, but the, the 2000s. Um, you have uh, one superpower left after this war, the United States, uh, still a very powerful economic system, economic driver. Um, but you have this rising star in China that could become a second superpower to rival uh, the United States and Russia, who's still very powerful, but nowhere near what they were as the Soviet Union, uh, still lingering in the background there. And so um, that kind of sets us up with those three major powers that we've been focusing on here in, in this chapter uh, to where we're at today. Um, as we go forward into chapters 22 and 23, we're going to see what's happening outside of these, um, outside of the Cold War, um, or the major, uh, not... Uh, major areas of the Cold War, major areas we focused on, uh, and look at and see what's going on in Africa and Asia and the Middle East, and uh, how the global war, uh, the the global landscape is changing. Uh, and so uh, that's what we'll be pushing towards, and uh, we'll eventually get into looking at kind of why the 2018 looks like 2018 by the time we get to the end of everything here. So uh, that's the Cold War um, and the rise of the Soviet Union and Communist China and the eventual fall of the Soviet Union, uh, all in um, uh, a few short chunks here.